Now, 7.34, over the weekend, the vice floor leaders of the four rival parties vowed to pass key pending bills during the National Assembly's February provisional session. Among the most controversial bills pending is a commercial law amendment, a set of laws aimed at ensuring more transparency of the government of conglomerates. It's getting attention in the wake of the whole Chess and Shield scandal, of course, this subject that's engulfed top conglomerates in these allegations of corruption. But first, let's get a general sense of what the amendment's about by bringing in Cheyuri, foreign attorney at the firm Yunnan Yang and a member of the California State Bar. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me back. Um, so can you give us a sense of what areas this commercial act covers, first of all? Sure. Um, the Korean Commercial Act is very broad and actually covers various aspects of commercial activities in general. But what is interesting about this is that it includes a corporation chapter, which in some other jurisdiction would be dealt under a separate statute like a company's act or a corporation's code. So in that chapter, um, there are provisions regulating general corporate matters, such as corporate formation, corporate structure, corporate governance, how to treat stocks and also bonds. So one of the areas the amendment deals with is the selection of audit committee members. What is the role of them? Right. The um, audit committee members generally have the role of auditing the operation of the company, as you can imagine from its name, and also director's actions. Uh, for example, they can request director to report regarding the operations of the company and also has the authority to investigate the company's business and financial status. And when there's a shareholders meeting, the audit committee member needs to provide its opinion as to whether the director's proposed agenda is in compliance with the laws and also the articles of incorporation. And they also prepare an auditor's report for company's financial statements. And in case there is a lawsuit between company and the auditor, uh, a company and the director, the auditor represents the company in that suit. So basically, audit committee members are separate sets of eyes overlooking the company for checks and balances, and therefore their independence is very important. So the new amendment will make companies separately name board directors and audit committee members and limit major shareholders' rights in voting for audit committee members. What's the implication there? Right. So under, just to briefly explain the current commercial act, the shareholders first select directors in a pool. And then among those director pool, they select the audit committee members. And in that process, the largest shareholder, depending on the number of shares he or she has, generally has lots of voting power in selecting the audit committee members, especially the audit committee members who are outside directors. And there are this is not just one bill, but there are various versions of proposed amendments. And um, they generally suggest separately naming audit committee members and also limiting the shareholders' right to vote for selecting the audit committee members for up to 3%. So, for example, if I'm the largest shareholder and I have 10% of total issued and outstanding shares and the second and third largest shareholder have 3% each, then when it comes to voting, even though I have 10%, I only have 3% voting power, which means I have the same voting power as the second and third largest shareholders. Mm. And if that means they could, if they are in allegiance and they vote for one director that I don't like, they may even have a higher voting power than me. 
So it, as you can imagine, it um, aims to protect minority shareholders and give more weight to them. And it stems out from a concern that because um, may, if there's a larger shareholder, um, major majority of directors could be selected by that um, larger shareholder. And if also an audit member is selected by the majority shareholder, then can it really, really have autonomy in checking whether directors are doing their job? Is the is the essence of this bill, and so the goal is to detach the audit committee from the majority shareholder and, and ensure more independency. Let's talk a bit more about the the cumulative voting system, with some experts suggesting that it um, goes against the one vote per one share principle. <laughs> do, do you have any concern over the legality of this system? Well, um, in terms of the legality, yes, uh, there could be a little bit of conflict there. But um, because, as, as you know, the cumulative voting under the cumulating voting system, the each shareholder's votes are multiplied by the same number, which is the number of directors to be elected. So if I have one share and it becomes two shares, someone with two shares would become four shares. So it could be difficult to challenge the legality of it in that tangent. But, of course, at, at, and under the current Commercial Act, it's, it is already there. It's just an option, but of course, companies, most of the companies preclude it by opting it out from the Articles of Incorporation. But the amendment will make it mandatory, so I expect there will be great resistance from the companies. But in, from the angle of legality, it could be a little bit difficult to challenge from that perspective. Um, let's um, touch as well, we, we've got limited time here, but the Lee Jae-hyung Act, uh, as it's referred right. to, um, affecting the operation of conglomerates the most, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, how will it change how the Tebol get a grip of their subsidiaries? Right. So the issue with that is the treasury stock, which usually does, if a company owns its own treasury stock, it doesn't have voting rights. But then uh, what has been traditionally used by Tebors to maintain their management rights is that in that case, they will have a spin-off and have a subsidiary of the company. And that subsidiary of that company um, let's say I have 20% treasury stock, and then if I have a subsidiary, I get the corresponding 20% of that subsidiary stock. And if the subsidiary is doing majority of the business, that means I have that 20% more power. Um, but of course, there's a question is that just because the company owns it doesn't mean that the company has... Uh, the majority shareholder can exercise that power or is the board of directors exercising that power. But in any case, the under the proposed amendment, the subsidiary is not allowed in that case to issue 20% to the, its parent company. So then the, the parent company or the major, major shareholders of the parent company will likely to have less control over the subsidiary and less voting power. Chayuri from Yun and Yang, thank you very much for joining us today and, and explaining the background to that, which is rather complex. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too dry. <laughs> well, you know, it's very helpful. Uh, but we're now going to get uh, a foreign opinion on this uh, by connecting to an expert abroad to understand how these laws are implemented um, by bringing in Lawrence Hamamesh, Professor of Corporate and Business Law at Widening University in Delaware. Uh, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. So can you tell us about shareholder activism in the United States? Sure. Uh, In general, uh, what I understand that to refer to is uh, the practice of investment in publicly held companies in the U.S. uh, for the purpose of influencing corporate policy. 
and the usual purpose uh, when we talk about shareholder activism is to uh, promote increased near-term payouts, higher dividends, share repurchases, or sometimes selling the company. The, the mechanism to exercise that influence is the power to vote in the election of directors. Well, here in Korea, it's known that minority shareholders keep their shares for an average of three months before reselling them. Do you, do you think the environment is too barren almost for the shareholder activism to spring up? Well, I'm not sure about the, uh, the configuration of share ownership uh, in the Korean market. Uh, it may be less; it may be more concentrated than in the U.S. or the U.K. Uh, in which case, uh, activism would have to take a different form. Uh, but uh, uh, in the U.S., at least, it depends on uh, a wide dissemination or distribution of share ownership and the possibility or the meaningful possibility of. Uh, a contested election of directors. We just talked about the cumulative voting system here. Can you tell us um, whether that and and the derivative suit are normally practiced in the United States? Uh, take them one at a time. Uh, cumulative voting in the United States is essentially non-existent. Uh, in, I don't know of any publicly traded companies that... Uh, use cumulative voting mostly because it's incredibly complicated the mm. more stockholders you have. Uh, so, uh, on the other hand, a derivative suit is something that you do see a fair bit of in the U.S., uh, and in Delaware in particular. What does that actually mean for the benefit of us who are not um, working in this area? Uh, a derivative suit is... Um, uh, it's, a, it's a lawsuit that uh, a stockholder brings when the stockholder believes that the company has been harmed, uh, but the board of directors of the company won't take action. Usually, uh, in Delaware and U.S. law generally, the board of directors decides uh, whether and when to bring a lawsuit to pursue a claim that the company has. Uh, but as you can imagine, when the claims against the directors themselves, the directors really aren't capable of, of making that decision. And that's the kind of environment in which a derivative suit, one that's brought derivatively in the right of the corporation, is initiated by a stockholder to pursue the claim that the directors themselves wouldn't bring. And, and to further highlight that, are there any uh, recent complaints that uh, are notable? The, the one that might be the best known, uh, either in the U.S. or even abroad, involves Walmart. Uh, and you may, you may recall that Walmart uh, got in some hot water a couple of years ago uh, because of uh, allegations, I think it was more than allegations, because of bribery of Mexican officials as part of efforts to uh, expand in Mexico. And uh, that got the company into some considerable trouble and... Uh, caused it a great deal of expense and probably embarrassment, too. Uh, there was litigation brought derivatively by Walmart stockholders uh, in an effort to hold the directors responsible. Uh, ultimately, that case uh, was dismissed. It was rejected primarily because there wasn't really any hard proof that the directors were aware of the problem or were implicated or involved in it. I mean, just connecting some of these issues to um, what we've seen here in Korea, of course, the, the merger of two Samsung affiliates at the heart of the whole 
presidential scandal, really, that, that we've been seeing recently. Um, and, and when we go back, we saw a complaint from abroad. And conglomerates here have frequently had to deal with overseas hedge funds on a collision course with owner families. But is that challenge necessarily a bad thing? Uh, it is not necessarily a bad thing. Necessarily, of course, is a very strong word. Uh, and there are times when, uh, frankly, uh, a board of directors can become insular and uh, uh, insufficiently attentive to uh, problems of corruption or, or lack of attention to, to business. And sometimes it helps shake things up in a positive way to bring in an outside force into the boardroom. Uh, there are in the U.S. a lot of counter-arguments that uh, shareholder activism in the boardroom uh, results in a shorter-term uh, focus uh, for business and uh, inadequate attention to long-term sustainable development. That's a very hard debate to sort out empirically, and I'm not sure I know the answer one way or the other. But uh, that kind of intervention can be good or it can be problematic. Well, on that open note, we'll leave it there. Professor Hammamesh, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Lawrence Hammamesh out of Widener University. And uh, our Twitter's open to you on any of our subjects this morning. If anyone wants to get involved on, on how you would like to see the Chebol reformed, it will no doubt be a big election topic. Tweet us at EFM this morning.